1: Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day, your one-stop shop for all things college football, NFL Draft, and NFL football alike. We are here on this beautiful Monday to talk about the big beauties up front, the offensive linemen. And, you know, before we even dive into it, first and foremost, Nick Durst, how's it going?
2: Michael, I'm doing well. We we have a lot of stuff going on right now in the NFL for any camps opening up. And we'll start with the biggest news, of course, which is that Carson Wentz is going to be out at least three months here. Uh, So there goes the Colts season. And now Nick (laughs) Foles is like begging the Bears to trade him to the Colts. What do you think the Colts are going to to do here?
1: Yeah, watching that press conference of Nick Foles, it is wild to just see someone so – hyped up about a team and possibility of going somewhere that, you know, he's not even at, you know, most people are very uh, hidden in their appeal for other teams. So they're like, Oh, you know, if it happens, it happens, but I'm happy to be here. He didn't seem like that. I mean, he was saying, you know, Oh, I'll stay here if I'm needed, but he seemed very excited about the possibility of going to Indianapolis. Obviously though, I think they are going to stick with their quarterback room Carson Wentz will hopefully get back a little bit earlier than expected, but also you just can't really bring in Nick Foles after what we saw happen in Philadelphia where Carson Wentz was the perceived franchise QB heading into into this last season. Really, they drafted this QB in round two, and I mean a lot of it is assumption-based, but it seemed as though Carson Wentz lost all his confidence, and while, yes, he's injured, while the Colts need someone to step up and be that quarterback, it just seems like a sign of bad faith to Carson, and it really puts that at risk when you're already investing what is a second round draft pick in the quarterback right now, anyway.
2: Right, uh, I think that the Colts should call Alex Smith, sign Alex Smith, let him get get you through the storm here. He's not that far out of into retirement, so I'm sure he's he could come into camp and get things going here because it's going to be rough for them. Uh, you know, this team could be four or five games under 500 going into mid-October, late October. So not ideal for a team who thinks that they could win the division this year. Maybe yeah, you call absolutely. Phil
1: <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Uh, I think definitely we're going to see a lot of the run game be established in Indianapolis early. Guys like Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, they are definitely all going to be getting plenty of touches. Obviously, John Jonathan Taylor being the leader of that backfield, uh, at least perceived to be. And I think for you know our fantasy watchers out there, that's definitely something exciting to hear. There's a lot of John uh, John Taylor truthers out there. But uh, what's going to happen for Indianapolis in terms of the passing game and how they open up this offense will certainly be in question. And you know they have guys like Jacob Easton, who I thought was decent as a prospect. And they have other pieces as well. Sam Ellinger, the rookie that just got brought in from Texas. And there's going to be options on the market as well. We could very easily see some QBs get cut and put into the free agency pool. But right now, it does seem like they're going to ride out with Jacob Eason and ride out with Sam Ellinger. And while both have potential, I think we are certainly going to see some limited passing offenses for those games without Carson Wentz and uh, probably some struggles when they do decide to pass regardless.
2: So what are your, you know, we really haven't seen
1: much of Easton here. What, what was your thoughts on him last
2: year coming out of Washington?
1: Yeah, I think he's still very unrefined. He had some issues dealing with pressure and he wasn't the most mobile QB as it is, which leads to some issues in this modern day NFL where, you know, you're trying to depend on these QBs being able to move and create plays and extend plays. And Easton just wasn't able to do that. While he has the arm talent that could very well match up with some of the league's best I I do think there are going to be some issues in terms of just pocket presence and being able to really deliver the ball on a consistent basis with good accuracy. And, you know, if he has grown in that regard, I think it's manageable because the mobility may not be needed as much behind an offensive line as talented as the Colts. But with what I saw as him as a prospect and without a preseason or many snaps to really prove himself over the course of this past season, really there's not much else to base it off of. But I do think that, with the preseason coming up, we will get a little bit of a better look at both QBs, and, you know, hopefully we can get some clarity on what's to be expected from the Colts passing game. All right. I know, Sam Ellinger, you said around the draft,
2: perhaps this guy becomes a wide receiver. I not assume that's going to be the case at this point. I don't think we'd be seeing him unless Easton got hurt. Uh, but what What do you think as far as the preseason is going to go, Uh is going to happen, but the quarterbacks. Because if they think Easton's going to start, I guess you're going to see a ton of Ellinger playing quarterback in the preseason games.
1: Yeah, I think early on we'll probably see both. And they'll sort of chop it up as, oh, this is an open QB competition and whoever comes out on top will be our starter heading into the season. I wouldn't be surprised to see a veteran of some sort be brought in to the situation, maybe like a Matt Moore. I'm not sure if he's signed onto a roster or not right now, but someone that... You know, either is on the market right now or is going to be hitting the market just by being cut. And some of those options could very well create an opportunity to, you know, safely play. That's why the Nick Foles narrative of a potential trade has been pitched so much because, you know, he has that familiarity to where he could step in and really understand the offense and system on day one and really get that advantage for the Colts to possibly succeed early.
2: My guess is they signed Blake Bortles. Bortles was just cut by the Packers. Um, Rodgers showed up, and I don't know, Bortles just has a million lives. The guy's constantly getting signed. Um, So maybe they'll sign somebody like him. The other big quarterback news was that the Jets finally signed Zach Wilson. I think uh, fighting over offset language in the NFL over rookie quarterbacks is crazy because if you're worried about, oh, How does who gets paid if he gets released, then you're silly because if you're releasing your franchise quarterback, you will be fired. So you shouldn't have to worry about that. Just go ahead and pay him. But they get him in camp, and it seems like so far so good on the reports to Zach Wilson out of Florham Park, New Jersey.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's great to get your QB in there, especially a rookie where you're trying to really capitalize on all the time available as possible. For the Jets, obviously, number two pick. This is supposed to be the future of the franchise. And you know, you want them to get as much opportunity to succeed early as possible because for rookie young QBs, early success is the best way to kind of build that confidence and build towards future success. So Zach Wilson getting in there, especially with young wide receivers like Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, it's it's crucial. And I'm glad that they got it done. And really now we uh we get to see what happens with Zach Wilson and the Jets going forward. Yeah, it's going, to be,
2: it's going to be crucial for the Jets' offensive line, who is big and bulked up here to, to keep Wilson on his feet. They didn't do a good job of that with Sam Donald and hurt them. Uh, and then we have some injury news uh, as well beyond the Carson Wentz stuff. That is that Devontae Smith, with the Eagles, had a minor knee sprain. He's going to be out for just a couple of weeks, but apparently no cause for concern. Uh, maybe in this sense that is the case because him and Jalen Hurts already have some pretty solid chemistry. Not great chemistry, but you know they did play together for a season, um, so maybe that is why there is no cause for concern. But if you're having uh, you know your go-to wide receiver here and a first-year full-year starter at quarterback, you kind of want to have them get on the same page as quickly as possible in yeah. training camp.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Him being healthy first and foremost is what everyone wants, but at the same time, I'm not too worried about it. I think Devonta Smith is one of the more polished pro ready wide receivers when it comes to draft NFL transition. I understand the weight issues and the concerns about if he's going to be able to hold up at the NFL level, but really, I, I believe that he's going to be able to produce I think he's going to be the leading wide receiver and overall weapon for the Eagles this year in terms of receiving yards. And I think, as far as rookie wide receivers go, I wouldn't be surprised to see him being the top producer of the class.
2: So, uh, so you know, how many times do you see a, somebody win the Heisman and they're not even considered the top person at their position in the draft? So he's got he's got a chip on his shoulder.
1: That's for sure. Absolutely, and you know, obviously the uh, the car the Eagles brought him in with high confidence that they're weapon room would need a wide receiver like him, you know, but I think this is a very nice opportunity for their first round pick of the past season, Jalen Rager to really sort sort of establish himself and get a connection going with Jalen Hurts to where him and Fulgham and Devonta Smith can all coexist in this offense and really start to produce out of the wide receiver room for the Eagles.
2: Yeah. We got, we got some Texas comments coming on right here in the chat, Michael, uh, this guy here is a big fan, Sam Ellinger and the and the SEC down Texas Longhorns, but JRG says horns down in my opinion. I gotta tell you, Michael, if I if you're if I'm a Longhorns fan, I'm not happy about going to the SEC because it's gonna be a long time before my team is contending for a national championship again.
1: Yeah, and I understand that concern, but at the same time, it's it's not too hard to get things going. Uh, you know, Obviously, Texas money is going to really play into this. We've talked about it a few times now with the NIL, and I think that's going to be a major pitching point for a lot of these recruits. Um, and you know, there's opportunities to really get some of these transitional pieces that could help that turnaround. You know, Ohio State just brought in Quinn Ewers, who is most likely going to try for that starting spot, maybe even as early as this year. And with guys like C.J. Stroud and and McCord at the QB spot, you know we could see some very enticing transfer quarterbacks that could potentially be looking at a school like Texas where they're not really falling off in terms of notoriety of their university but still getting a great opportunity to really start and play. So keep an eye on these QBs, especially as we start to see more crowded college football rosters, especially as early as this coming season.
2: And we then also had some news – That Nick Chubb and the Browns agreed to a three year, $36.6 million contract extension. What does that do for the running back market? And specifically, we're looking at a guy like Saquon Barkley.
1: Yeah, I really think that we are sort of seeing a weird transition for running backs. We aren't seeing a pay where it's, oh, this guy got 12, now this guy gets 13, now this guy gets 14. Everyone's sort of getting that similar $12 million mark. And I think a lot of teams are going to have a similar approach where they're saying, look, we'll get you around that range, but we aren't going to go much higher. And maybe that's just an indication of how the league is starting to value running backs. But I think there's still going to be cases where guys are saying, look, I need more than that. And, you know, I think the giants, especially with a guy like Dave Gettleman who has been very adamant on running the ball is very crucial for a team, you know, running backs still matter. And I agree, but, I think we could see the Giants maybe splurge a little bit more than that Nick Chubb contract, but I don't expect it to go too much higher. Maybe in the thirteen million a year. Maybe if he has a great season and they start to negotiate, we could see near fourteen. But I wouldn't expect it to go too much higher than that. And I think you know fifteen would probably be the tops we see from that running back position going forward. Yeah,
2: I think there's the market is changing here, and it's going to be something to, to keep an eye on. Not only with Barkley, but you know any any running backs coming up here for contract renewals. But Barkley's got a he's got to get in the field first to show he's healthy and still can be explosive.
1: Absolutely, and a great way to help out your running back is to get some dominant offensive line pieces. And I tell you what, this class is filled with them. Before we dive into the top ten, I like to do a five-player segment of potential risers, guys that aren't gang that love to be in the top of the class, but I think could be by the time this draft cycle really takes place, by the time this whole season goes through. And the first one we're going to talk about is Matthew Bedford, offensive tackle out of Indiana. Now, if you know about Indiana football, obviously there's guys talking about Michael Penix, talking about Ty Freifogel, but Matthew Bedford is the most enticing of that Indiana prospect group for me. I really love his frame at 6'6", 310 pounds. Really think he has some nice thickness in his overall frame as well. I really loved his ability to move around as an athlete. I thought he moved pretty well. Started all seven games at right tackle in this past season. Obviously, with the COVID year, not necessarily the best opportunity to really build up your resume. But he even started in his freshman year, eight games out of nine overall And really just a dominant start for his college career. I'm really excited to see what he does in year three. I think the overall trajectory that we saw from year one to year two is very enticing. Matthew Bedford, Caleb Jones are a pretty solid college football tackle duo. Bedford, for me, is the better prospect of the two. And really with a solid year for Indiana offense, it's going to depend on offensive line play. And Matthew Bedford is the leader of that unit. Expect to see him getting some love as we go further into the year. And if he does decide to declare, we could see him really get into that first-round range if he takes the necessary steps. Realistically, right now, probably view him in that third, fourth-round area, but obviously still plenty of uh, plenty of time to grow. The next prospect to keep an eye on is Matthew Katsendrick out of California, an offensive lineman that really is one of my favorites in this class, going to be a redshirt junior, so we could see him sort of stick around and not declare, but for me, what I loved about his game was just his ability to move around the field and handle power. While he is currently listed at 295 pounds, I think he's going to add weight as we enter this season and really get into that 300-pound range. Really kind of one of the more well-rounded offensive linemen that I've been able to watch this offseason. I think he has some of the better ability to maintain his base strength, really keep on blocks very well. A guy that I think has really flown under the radars. Like I haven't heard anyone talking about this guy in terms of draft stock at all. Personally though, for me, I think we're going to see this guy on day three and I think we're going to start to get more attention on him as we start to see these full seasons again, you know, with the limited opportunity of seasons with these shortened seasons, especially for California last year, I think the opportunity to really establish yourself as a name was hindered. And for Matthew Sindrick, I think he's going to, really get that opportunity with a full season ahead. And I think he'll take advantage land as a day three prospect, but really uh, capitalize in the NFL and create a nice career for himself. The next prospect we have is Cameron Jurgens out of Nebraska, a smooth mover at the center position. One of the better centers in this class, in my opinion, 6'3, 290 pounds is his listed measurements on the Nebraska site. But really I think, that he does enough in terms of play strength to really overcome the issues in weight. A lot of times at the center position, you don't really need them to really hit that 300 mark. I mean, guys like David Andrews in the NFL obviously are some of the best in the league and not at 300. So really it's that ability to move ability to pull and ability to react in the center. And Jurgens does that has some questionable PFF grades, but at the same time, from what I've seen on tape, he moves well Really nice zone blocking type center and someone that I think with time should be able to really get himself into that day two, day three conversation. Probably going to be a day three guy just because there's a stack draft class in this year's class. So guys that maybe would be going late round three are going to be falling to round four, maybe even round five. And I think Juergens kind of fits that bill. For the fourth guy in this list, we have Alec Anderson, the tackle out of UCLA, an absolute stud from the few games that I've been able to watch. Another guy that isn't at that 300-pound mark, and I think they're going to want him to add weight, uh, listed 6'5", 305 on the site, but I think he's a little bit lighter. I really love his ability to move around the field. He showed some very nice athleticism and really solid uh, base strength as well. I think it's something that is going to – really need a lot of growth. He has some issues in terms of just overall technique and hand usage. I think it's something that him and Sean Ryan should be the leaders of this UCLA offensive line and will be crucial for the team's success, which is why I really think UCLA is going to win the PAC 12 because of, you know, pieces like this, pieces like Dorian Thompson, Robinson, Britton Brown in the backfield, Kyle Phillips, Greg Dulcich in the passing game. But it all comes down to how the offensive line play goes and Anderson and Sean Ryan, are some of the more enticing duos in the league. And I think really Anderson is going to be a big part of that. And with the UCLA strong season, I really expect to see Anderson fly up boards. I had him in my initial first round mock. I've cooled on him a little bit since then, but I still think that this is someone that we do see on day two, assuming he makes the necessary steps that I see in this game. Now, a guy that is... Tough to really project as a draft prospect because of limited play time. Caden Wallace out of Penn State, 6'5", 318 pounds, started seven games at right tackle this past season. And really, a lot of the love for Penn State when it comes to the offensive line goes to Rasheed Walker. But for me, Caden Wallace is an absolute stud, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this guy can do with a full year of opportunity to play, a full year starting, and really a full year of film where evaluators really start to take notice of him. I think he's going to really su- surprise a lot of people. He's going to be a redshirt sophomore, so this would be his first year of draft eligibility. And if he doesn't get that attention, we could very well see him not declare. But really, what I see out of Wallace is a tremendous frame. Not necessarily the big, bulky guys that are getting a lot of love lately, but I think he moves well enough and drops into his sets extremely well as a smooth mover to where we're going to see this guy as a first-round prospect when the day comes that he declares. Now, if he does it this year, who knows? But for me, I'm willing to gamble on him. I'm a huge Caden Wallace fan, and if you are looking for a guy that's really a deep sleeper, Wallace is your guy. Now, as we move on to these sleepers, to this top 10, number 10 is Caden Wallace. I don't know if you've heard of him. Besides five seconds ago, But he is an absolute stud. Number 10 here for me. Not too much more to say on him. But Penn State certainly is going to have an interesting year. I think they're going to be running the ball a lot. And Caden Wallace on the right side. Rasheed Walker on the left. Very solid college tackle duo. And I'm excited to see what Wallace can do in his third year as a college athlete. At number 9, we got Ike McWanu. The really tackle guard type prospect out of North Carolina state. I assume he's going to move into guard at the NFL level has some very nice base strength. I think he's a little bit unrefined in terms of his blocking technique, but I think the overall natural ability to create chaos as a blocker just shines through for him. He is versatile. And I think at the NFL level, if you need him to spot start at tackle, he'll be able to do that. For the most part, though, I think he projects as a guard. What I like most about him is while he is a bigger body, I think he shows off plenty of athleticism in terms of run blocking. I think he moves downfield well. He has the overall aggression that you want to see out of your offensive linemen to really win blocks consistently. And at Guanu, yes, he's very unrefined. He has plenty of issues that are needed to be fixed through. but. This is someone that I think a lot of NFL front offices are going to be extremely high on someone that I think a lot of people are going to look for to fix up and make into a beast of a player. And I expect that NFL will be very high on him because of that. And Equanu will probably meet expectations in the NFL as well. At number eight, we got Andrew Stuber, the six, 340 pound right tackle from Michigan. And really he played some guard as well big fan of what he can do overall. You kind of see these prospects happen in the college football game where they don't necessarily get all the love that they should, but they have the size, they move well enough and really they just do their job on a consistent play to play basis to where once they get to the NFL, they continue doing their job and people say, wow, you know, we really missed on them. Stuber's not flashy. I'll admit that, but, When you are that big, that strong, and that sound and reliable as a blocker, that's all you need, and Stuber does that on a play-to-play basis to where I would trust him, whether it's at right tackle, right guard, I think he is an absolute stud. Now, the question mark for him is, with that size, is he going to be able to sustain a long-term career on the outside, or is he too big to play guard if he does get pushed inside? I'm not too worried about it either way. I think he showed plenty of ability both spots. At the very least for Stuber, I expect him to really stick around as a very reliable, versatile depth backup uh, that rotates between guard and tackle. But I think he's consistent and safe enough to where he will find a way to start and just be a long-term you 8, 10-year starter that really doesn't raise a lot of questions. Maybe never gets a lot of love that he deserves, but... Definitely plays it safe, and uh, any team would be happy to have him. We have a uh, comment as well. Stuber is built like a wardrobe, about to send defenders to Narnia. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I love his frame. And I think the big thing about some of these guys that have the frame like this is are they able to use their frame to, you know, like both just maintain that frame and also keep up good play? And Stuber does that extremely well. Big fan of him. Uh, I have a friend who is really into offensive line study, and he is huge on Ryan Hayes, their offensive tackle as well. So keep an eye on that Michigan offensive line. Very consistent in turning out prospects. Jalen Mayfield last year, pretty sure the rest of the four all became NFL prospects the year before. So definitely a very talented university for offensive line talent, and they should have two more coming very soon. The next one up on the list Number number seven, Nicholas Petit-Friere. I had him recently in my first round mock, and I think this is someone that should get that love in the tackle class. For the offensive tackles in this draft class, I have him as my offensive tackle three. So while he's here at number seven for overall offensive line, I think he's going to be seen a little bit higher in terms of just overall offensive linemen off the board when the draft day comes. Uh, Petit-Friere obviously gets a lot of love. Because of being a stud tackle at the University of Ohio State, but a lot of the attention goes to uh, Moonford, the offensive tackle on the other side of him. And you know, I think he's an absolutely dominant uh, offensive tackle. Someone that was actually very close to making my top ten, but Petit Friere is someone that I am a true believer in. You know, great size, great movement, very smooth on the field in his pass sets. Makes ability or makes plays as a run blocker as well. 6'5, 315 pounds. So, no questions of his frame. I feel like you look at this picture here and you can even tell he could add some weight pretty easily without losing anything. And I think, you know, adding 10 pounds with that ability to move as well, I think he fills out his frame nicely. And with that, you know, he could very easily become one of the better tackles in the class. Ohio State is a team that is consistently churning out NFL talent. And Petit Frere, I think, is someone that is going to really start to capture attention, especially playing on the national stage, being at a program that's going to get as much national attention. We'll really start to notice Petit Frere, And with that, you know, we'll see some love head his way. And I think we'll see him in the first round come the end of this draft season. At number six, we got Ricky Stromberg out of Arkansas, the center that has been getting a lot of attention on draft Twitter lately. Just checked him out recently. I'm not as high on the rest of the overall draft sphere on him, but I do think that he is a very good center. 6'4", 316 pounds, moves pretty well. I think the overall processing ability is still in question for me. I think there's times where he misses his most opportune blocks, and maybe that's a scheme thing. Maybe it's something where I'm just misreading it and I'm judging him for something that he was supposed to do. But from what I've seen, I feel like there's still some better ability – are needed as a move blocker in terms of just improv and improv ability. I want to see what he can do in terms of picking up block and adjustment. And for Stromberg, you know, I think he's still very much a talented center. This interior offensive line class is going to blow a lot of people away when it comes to really everyone else kind of getting into the draft class and evaluating the talent. But For Stromberg right now, I have him as interior offensive lineman number four, where I know a lot of people are a little bit higher. And at number five, we have Daniel Falele, a player that has sort of kind of fallen under the radar a little bit, not necessarily a lack of people knowing who he is. Everyone has heard about this guy already, but a lot of people kind of have let him fall down on draft radars just because he wasn't here last year. But that doesn't take away the fact that he's 6'9", pretty much 400 pounds, and moves extremely well for his size. He is just a brick wall of a human being, and NFL teams are going to love that. You can easily make him drop some weight, and he's going to move a little bit better, but you don't even necessarily need it. He moves well enough as it is. We see consistently guys that are huge just win based on size and just make up for it with that pure strength, and ability to really just dominate. Falele, I think, is someone that will do that. I think he moves well enough to where the size isn't an issue. And as we continue on with seeing his year, I think we're going to see some development. Obviously, the year away, a lot of people were kind of confused on what happened with him. Uh, I think he just went back home for the year and then kind of returned to Minnesota this season. With a season like last year, I don't blame it at all. And, uh, you know, I'm very excited to see what he does because this is someone that is an absolute enigma in this draft class and just extremely exciting to watch. Uh And, you know, for Philele, I think this is someone that will get back into that first round conversation. And with a good year, we could be seeing him really in the top 10 of this class. And it wouldn't surprise me. For the number four offensive lineman in this class, we got Jarrett Patterson out of Notre Dame, a dominant. History of offensive line production. Notre Dame with a young offensive line, still able to produce a single hyped guy just because everyone else is just not draft eligible, but Jarrett Patterson. And now he enters the season with a great opportunity to succeed. Missed a little bit of his last season because of injury. And obviously that was terrible, but for Patterson, getting back healthy, getting back in terms of production. And just being the leader of this young offensive line, I think we're going to see a lot of attention come to that once we kind of focus in on the draft cycle, really start to get the backgrounds of these players. I think a lot of love is going to go Patterson's way if Notre Dame is able to really take that next step of offensive line play despite their young players. And Patterson's going to get a lot of credit for that, being the veteran of that offensive line. But that doesn't mean the play is lacking either. Patterson moves around the field extremely well, has a dominant skill set that is well-rounded in both the pass and run game. This is someone that I think we'll see in that back end of the first round. The interior offensive line value for some of these teams is really appreciated. And center is a position that if you can find someone who can hold up against defensive tackles that can open up lanes in the run game, then the overall – just appeal of that is huge. And, you know, whether you want him at center or whether you want him at guard, I think he can play both extremely well. And, you know, with that, you know, Patterson offers versatility and appeal that a lot of NFL teams are going to be looking for. Now, whether this is a situation where he goes late round one to a contender looking to bolster their offensive line or early round two to a team that's looking to protect their quarterback better, we could see both ways very easily. and Patterson is someone that I think falls under that bill to where you dr- bring him in and he's an extremely safe option to really help out and bolster your offensive line, no matter the situation you're in. <laughs> At number three, we got Tyler Linderbaum Center out of Iowa, a guy that was really being mocked in the first round or second round last year. and this year now obviously plenty of attention on the offensive lineman. Iowa, of course, Another university that is just consistently churning out talented offensive line prospects. Linderbaum, one of the more intriguing ones, certainly. We always oh. see the love for Tristan Wirfs, but this is someone that beat Tristan Wirfs in state championship wrestling back in high school. He is very gritty, able to fight, and you know it shows on tape. I really love his move blocking ability. He gets to the second level extremely well with ease. Can hold up against power. Yes, he's under 300 pounds, and that will certainly cause some issues. But like I talked about with some of the other centers in this graphic, you know, you, you don't necessarily need these guys to hit 300 pounds to find success at the center position. And Linderbaum, I think, makes up for any lack of weight with uh, pure power in his hands to really win matchups consistently and that quickness at the point of attack is absolutely huge for Linderbaum as well, which creates success for the you know matchup that he faces. At number two, we got Evan, me- Evan Neal, the offensive tackle out of Alabama. Last year, we saw Alex Leatherwood go in the first round. Well, not last year, but just recently, we saw Alex Leatherwood go in the first round. For me, I think Evan Neal is even better. So we could see... A lot of love go his way. Six, seven, 360 pounds, a massive human being just like. Ballet. But I think what is also interesting about Evan Neal is the athleticism. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's a video out there where he is just jumping up. I think like six feet in the air and doing a splits. It's absolutely incredible. He's a freak athlete with absolute ability to win at the offense. Tackle spot moves around. Well, you know, Obviously, with Alabama, these offensive line prospects are probably going to take jumps from year to year. Evan Neal already showing very promising tape. With another year under his belt working at Alabama with the Crimson Tide, with some NFL personnel, I think he's going to establish himself as the top tackle in this class. There are plenty of guys that could rise and get the love of being first-round talents, but Evan Neal is probably the safest bet to be a first-round pick in this class out of the entire offensive line class. For the number one offensive line prospect, it's a player that's going to be going to tackle, but is most likely going to be a guard at the NFL level, and that's Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, arguably the best offensive lineman in college football. From play to play, he just wins consistently. Texas A&M, we've talked about players in almost every episode that we do. Haynes King at QB, Aniah Smith, Isaiah Spiller, Devin Arcane for the running backs, you know, Chase Lane, Jalen Watermeyer, Baylor Cup as potential weapons in the passing game. Anaya Smith, obviously a great wide receiver option as well for the Aggies. There is plenty of opportunity for success, and it's going to really rely on Kenyon Green. Texas A&M lost numerous offensive line pieces just this past season. And you know, he's going to be <laughs> stepping up to left tackle to really help out his team. But even though he's going to be playing left tackle, even though he's going to be on the outside out of his natural position, I expect to still see plenty of success from Kenyon Green. I think for the NFL level, we're going to see him return back to guard, but don't be surprised if he does well enough to where we see a debate come up on how there's possibility that he is going to be drafted to play tackle in the NFL. Do I think it'll happen? No, I don't think so. I think guard is his natural spot, and I think he's definitely best suited to be a superstar there. But as we see the season come along, if Kenyon Green does well at left tackle, we're definitely going to see that debate rise up. We saw it with Elijah Vera Tucker just this past season, and he wasn't dominant at offensive tackle. He was definitely purely a guard, but we still saw that conversation because he was good enough of an offensive lineman that he made it work, and you know, Kenyon Green could very well fall in that situation as well. We have a few comments that we're going to talk about real quick. Patterson is probably moving from center as well. I didn't know that, but that's actually uh, very interesting. I think he's going to be successful no matter where. I talked about his versatility when we talked about him as a prospect. But, you know, whether it's at center or whether it's at guard, he's definitely going to still be a crucial piece of leadership for this offensive line and uh, could get a huge stock for off-field character and just leadership ability from that. And one more comment as well. You may have covered this already, but how do you feel about this online crop at this point of the draft process compared to the last year's Mm -hmm. offensive line group? I think it's better. You know, I think last year there's plenty of talent in the class, but there was a lot of uh, question marks when it comes to just overall, what's going to happen in terms of guys like Walker, little guys like Alex Leatherwood who went in the first round. And for this year, I think there's plenty of question marks as well, but we're going to see a lot of risers happen. The interior offensive line is certainly better. I think we're going to see a lot of studs for the interior. At tackle, though, I think – I'll go with last year's tackle class because Sewell's definitely a stud, and I think he really is more of a generational talent that's going to put him above the rest of the guys in this year's class. Um, And then guys like Derisaw, Raiden's – Jenkins, Little, Eichenberg. I think that last year's tackle class was deep enough to where I'll go. Tackle class was better for last year, but interior class for this year is definitely better. But who knows? You know, with the limited season of you know condensed games and schedules for Pac-12, Big Ten, um, you know, just missing games due to COVID protocol, we could see a lot of guys rise up in the offensive tackle class and situation with a full off season to train is a really prime example of where those strides could very easily happen most. So don't be surprised if we see a lot of offensive line rankings change just because of a better opportunity to really grow their game and see a lot of prospects rise up as a result of that.
2: All right, Michael, i at this list here. Uh, yeah, I was waiting to wait and finally have the Notre Dame guy in the top four. Notre Dame is – the cream of the crop when it comes to offensive linemen. Uh, And we'll ask you this question like I ask you each week. Who here from the bottom row has the best chance to to jump up into the top two?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it'd probably be between Petit Freire and Caden Wallace. Uh, Right now, I think Petit Freire is probably best set up to do that because Ohio State's going to be getting the attention. And that's not to say that guys that are – at a little bit less attention, schools aren't able to rise up. But I think with the success of the rest of the team around them, it's easy to kind of get that confidence going, get that good feel going. And Petit Freire, I think, has a very nice frame, very nice ability to really kind of establish himself as a top tackle in college football. And for Ohio State, I think, you know, we're just going to continue seeing a lot of studs come through with these recruits. And, you know, Petit Freire was someone that, came in with a lot of expectation and absolutely met them in year one as a starter. And now with another year under his belt with a full offseason, with the full, you know, opportunity to succeed, I think we could absolutely see him skyrocket.
2: It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and I mean, a six foot nine offensive lineman here in fallout
1: is crazy. Um <laughs> what's his what's his mobility like yeah so he has a rugby background which absolutely helps out his mobility maybe not the most nimble of the offensive tackles but makes up for it with his size obviously so I think he's definitely perfectly fine to play the tackle spot at the NFL definitely some growth that you're going to want to see out of his game definitely some you know necessary strides that we saw from his 2019 film and now it's two years later is he going to Improved from that, or is he going to recede a little bit just due to missing a whole year and then you know maybe falling out of it? Who knows what happened with him from his year away? So, Falele probably has the most boomer bust potential on this list, but uh, right now I'm very much gambling on him to boom rather than bust.
2: I think he is the most likely to report into a game of eligible receiver and catch a touchdown, jump ball <laughs> six for nine, touchdown.
1: Pretty easy to just put it right over the top, right to him.
2: No doubt about it. But another another fantastic list here, and you know that's gonna that's gonna close out the offense here for for the Rockman's preseason top offensive uh, players here coming into the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And real quick before we close out this show, I just want to talk. There's some definite studs in this class that weren't able to be mentioned, you know, combining interior offensive line and offensive tackle is already tough as it is, but there are some pieces out there that I think have a very good opportunity to rise up boards. Obviously I'm not as much in on them, but pieces like Charles cross and Zion Nelson have gotten first round hype in this draft class. Uh, Moonford, we talked about whenever we talked about petite free he could very well continue growing. I was very impressed with the growth we saw from his game compared from 19 to 20. And now in 21, we could see even more growth in that regard. Um, I really like Ed Ingram out of LSU. I think he's a very talented offensive guard that should be able to make those next steps. Uh, You know, there's pieces all over. Zion Johnson, Emil Ekior of Alabama, Warren McClendon talked about him, Jamari Sellier. There are pieces all over this college football world. If you're looking for offensive line talent, you know, keep an eye out because this year I think there's going to be plenty all around and, you know, whether all of them hit or not, you know, almost certainly is going to be no, but I think the opportunity to see plenty of risers in this class is certainly there and uh, it's going to be exciting to watch.
2: We shall say it's going to be an interesting class. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that's all we have for you today on this destination draft day episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our offensive line discourse. Hopefully, you know, I'll be proven right because I'm, I always am, you know, I just always erase it, remake it so that I never appear wrong in my draft rankings and analysis. So that's all we got to do here on destination draft day. But for now, that's your little preview for the offensive line class. As Nick mentioned, we are heading to the defensive side of things going forward. Hope you guys enjoyed. We appreciate all the comments in the comment section. We appreciate LandryFootball.com for the platform to speak on. We will see you guys on Friday. But until then, have a great week and take care.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere